Take your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter number two this evening. Genesis chapter number two. Brother Dean McNeese would say, Genesis. And then he'd explain it to you. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. Genesis. All of God's people said, Amen. Everybody that loves the Lord. <laughs> Genesis chapter number two tonight. We're going to continue our series on real relationships, and we're going to. We've looked at a few within the church, the church's relationship with their pastor, the pastor's relationship with the church, and we talked about our relationship as fellow believers together, and I preached that wonderful message on uh, be quiet, do it yourself, and something else. I can't remember it now. But I want you to look at Genesis chapter number two, and we're going to step out of the church tonight and step into the home and step into that relationship between a man and a woman, a, a husband and a wife. We'll work our way through the family this way, then we'll try to work our way back this way, if that makes sense. We'll work our way down, and then work our way back up as we go down this thing. And you say, well, preacher, what does Genesis chapter number two have to do with my marriage? What does it have to do with my home? What does it have to do with my family? Well, give me a, a few minutes. I'd say a few. Give me about at least 30 to 45, and uh, I'll try my best to explain that to you this evening. But look down at Genesis chapter number two. If you're in Miss Caitlin's Sunday school class, make sure you got your papers out and you uh, start taking your notes the best you can. Remember, if you can't spell it, just draw a picture of it. But I will have to make a disclaimer here in just a few minutes about that. Uh, and so just listen to the preacher tonight, and then uh, once we get uh, through the reading of the scriptures, you get ready to take notes. Look down at verse number 15 of Genesis chapter number 2. If you're there, say glory. Amen. I was going to try to switch it up on you and see if we had any amens when you supposed to say glory. But look at verse number 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. And out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field, every fowl of the air, and brought them unto Adam to see what he, could call, what, he, what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave, see, you got to read your Bible and, and, and either you're going to have to believe it or you're going to have to believe what everybody else is telling you. Because a caveman, according to them, doesn't have the, the Neanderthal doesn't have the intellect to do this. But here's Adam, the first man created by God with an intellect to be able to look at every animal and give him a name. Why? Because he's a creation of God. He didn't, he didn't evolve from somebody before him. Adam was a direct creation from God. And you go down to verse number 20, and Adam gave names to all the cattle into the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found and help meet for him. In essence, Adam looked at all of them and said, these are all great, they're God's creation, but I can't get personal with none of these. Right, could you imagine Adam <laughs> trying to tell all of his life's meaning and life's joys to a cow and expecting that same return uh, from the cow? What would the cow tell him, preacher? Probably moo. It's probably what he would tell him. Let's not overthink it tonight. Then verse number 21, the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. I love how my Bible's written. <laughs> and he slept. Why? The Lord caused a deep sleep. 
And he took one of his ribs and he closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this was now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man cleave his, excuse, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife were not ashamed. Now I will pray in just a second, but I want to let you look at verse number 25 tonight. Here's the disclaimer. Those of you who are in Miss Caitlin's Sunday school class cannot draw verse number 25. It's not allowed, all right? <laughs> Why, a preacher will read what it says. I don't want that being turned into the Sunday school class, amen? <laughs> but there's also a great theological truth here in verse number 25. See, verse number 25 proves to you and I tonight that Eve was actually the birthday gift of Adam. Did you know that? That God gave Eve to Adam on his birthday. Preacher, how do you know that? Well, they was both in their birthday suits. <laughs> Amen. Let's pray tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again for your grace and for your, your mercy in our life. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we can come to church. Lord, we can worship. And Lord, we can enjoy the goodness of God. We thank you, Lord, for your word tonight. Lord, we've joked around and Lord, we've cut up a little bit, Lord, but serious business needs to be dealt with tonight. Lord, the home that relationship between a man and his wife and the wife and her husband. Lord, it's one of the single greatest relationships this world's ever known outside of the relationship they can have with the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, it's the very first relationship, God, that you gave between man and woman. And we ask you, Lord, tonight, Lord, you just help us to glean some truth tonight to help us understand, Lord, our relationship, what that looks like and what it's based off tonight, Lord, and Lord, we'll give you the glory. We'll give you the praise. We ask you, Lord, tonight, Lord, I ask you that you hide me behind the cross of Calvary. Lord, empty me out of myself, Lord, and fill me with your spirit. Lord, we ask you that you just help us again tonight. Lord, we'll be thankful and grateful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. And here's the thing. When it comes to marriage, and here's, I firmly believe tonight that the Bible has the answer for everything. Right, it has the answer for the, the questions and the concerns and the needs of life tonight. But here's the thing, when you actually begin to look in your Bible in seeking a great example of a marriage to follow, there's actually only one real perfect marriage in your Bible. And it hasn't happened yet. Revelation chapter number 19, the Bible tells us this. It says, and let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife hath made herself right. Well, who is that? That's the church. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. 
And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are true, the true sayings of God. And so we understand that's the perfect marriage. But here's the thing, when you begin to go back from Genesis all the way to Revelation and in between there, you'll find a lot of marriages that take place in your Bible. You'll find a lot of men being married to women. You'll find a lot of uh, ceremonies taking place and marriages happening. But outside of Revelation chapter 19, you won't find a perfect one. Right? You won't find one that had some issues and some problems with it. And so in essence, you can't go and look and say in its entirety, I want a marriage just like David. Well, well, David definitely, David was bold, right? He stood before Goliath and he slew a giant and he reigned over Israel. But do you want David and Bathsheba in your story? No, I don't want that in mine. Well, what about Abraham, right? Abraham has a great marriage until he gets the line and calling his wife his sister, Right, how many of y'all want that in your marriage? <laughs> how many of you want you to, your husband to walk out and introduce you as his sister? Right, no, that don't fly, we don't want that. Well, we, we want the wisdom of Solomon, don't we? Right, we've been talking about that on Wednesday night, we want the wisdom, God's wisdom, but how many want his, his concubines and wives to go with it? Right, well, so we understand that there are some good uh, things that we can tell, even in the New Testament, you think about Ananias and Sapphira, for a while there, they are serving the Lord and they're doing a great work for the things of God until they start lying about what they're given. And the Bible tells us that they both die within minutes of each other because they are lied to the Holy Ghost. And so we would say, well, I, I want to I serve the Lord with my spouse, no doubt, but I don't want to experience that. And so one of the things we have to understand tonight is that there is uh, no such thing as a perfect, without error, without faults, without failures, marriage. Why, preacher? Because we, have all, we all have a sin nature this evening. And any time you get man or woman involved who has a sin nature, perfection goes far out the window. And we have to realize tonight, so in essence, well, and it's the same thing in, in, in our, our, our daily lives as well. We all know uh, married people and other married couples and there's some things we no doubt we'd probably say, you know what, what they got or, or what they have, we definitely should incorporate that into our marriage and try to practice that in our marriage. But at the same time, we don't want the same problems they have. Right, every marriage has problems and issues. And what we'll see here tonight as we get into the book of Genesis, that there is a marriage that takes place in the Garden of Eden in essence, it takes place in a perfect place, and, and I, I'm not trying to necessarily call it paradise in forms of uh, uh, a prophecy and whatnot, but in essence, it was a wonderful place. It was God's creation, and, and man had yet to fall, and in essence, it was perfect, and it was right, and it was wonderful, but even that marriage wasn't perfect. Even though that, even that marriage wasn't one that lasted without problems and issues. Notice number one tonight as we look at this uh, relationship between Adam and Eve and how does that apply to my marriage? How does that apply to the marriage I'm in now or one that I'm prospectively looking towards later on in life? What does that look to? What does that look like? Notice number one, the match made in paradise. Notice tonight, if you look at Genesis chapter number two, there's two things that Adam had before he got married. Verse number 15, Adam had a job. He was to name creation. 
He was to name the animals that God had given him, but also in verse number 15, God put him in the garden of Edom and told him to dress it and keep it, take care of it. So rule number one, if you're looking for a prospective spouse, do they have a job? Preacher, no, 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 no. Love, we can survive on love. Tell that to the power company. Hey, we ain't got your money this month, but we sure do love each other. They gonna, y'all gonna love each other in the dark. Right, and that's a practical truth tonight. And, and why is that necessary? Here's the thing. If a man is not willing to work, Right, and, and, and I'm not talking about when injuries happen or different things like that, sickness and whatnot, but there is no work ethic. There is no desire to go out and, and provide and to work. Nothing's going to change the moment you say, I do. Right? That's, nothing's going to change that way. So Adam had a job. In verses 16 and 17, Adam had a command. Look at verse number 16. The Lord command, God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest, therefore thou shalt surely die. So Adam had a job, but Adam also had a command. Another thing to look for in a prospective spouse, young people, not only should they have a good work ethic, but they ought to know what God's word says. Well, preacher, I asked them their testimony. They said they were saved. Well, what do you mean? Well, I asked them. They just simply said, yes, I'm saved. No, 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 no. You got to go a little bit further. When did you get saved? Where did you get saved? How old were you? What happened that day? And then say, well, what's your favorite Bible verse? If they say, well, I just like all of them. Well, name one. Right? Name one. Get specific with it. Because, listen, if you're looking for a husband and you're looking for a godly man to raise and to love you and protect you, then they need to know God's word because this is the only way you can do that. And if you want to be somebody's knight in shining armor, preacher, I want to be this, I want to be that, then you better get in the word of God. Right? Because if, you wanna, if your family's going to hold together, it's going to be through the word of God. I got a text message right before service. A lady who was the mother of two, some young men that I grew up with, and they, they were really best friends with my brother. I just tagged along because wherever my brother went, my mom made me go too. It's free babysitter. But I just got a text message that she's got stage four uh, either liver cancer or lung cancer. She's got both of those, one of those being stage four. And I thought, well, she probably don't have long for this world if it's that case. But I got to thinking about her boys and those that I grew up with and those that I, I you know, spent all that time with. And I can't think of any other, any of them this evening that have a godly home, have a godly lifestyle, are serving and living for God. Well, preacher, you're trying to pat yourself on. No, what you have to understand is there came a day in my life where I said, you know what, I'm done living for myself. I'm done doing this thing my way. I need to do it God's way. Can I say just as much as a church needs a pastor who is in the word of God, who knows the word of God, who believes the word of God, entrusts the word of God, the church doesn't just need that. Every home needs it too in the dad or in the husband tonight. And so Adam had a job. Adam had a command. And notice this, verse number 18 says that God realized 
and understood that Adam had a need long before Adam did. See, Adam was trying to, to, to find his satisfaction in his job, in his responsibility. Boy, I got a lot of animals to name. I got a lot of trees to upkeep. I got a lot of garden to be dressing. But there came a point in time where work was done. He had named all the animals. All the trees had been taken care of. The garden had been dressed. And Adam said, now that I'll have nothing to do, I realize how lonely I really am. But see, God already knew that. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. Do you wonder why one of the greatest institutions that they are targeting in our modern day is the marriage between a man and a woman? It isn't because it's not fair to the homosexual crowd because they don't get a tax break like regular married folk do. And it's not because it's not fair because they don't have the same rights and the same privileges that we have as married people in America. Let, let me ask you, what freedom don't they have? What right don't they have that you and I have today? But why, preacher? It's not, a, it's not a government. It's a biblical issue. Satan knows if I'm going to attack anything, I'm going to attack the home. And once the home falls apart, the church falls apart. Once the home and the church fall apart, society falls apart. We've seen it happen over and over in history. But we'll see here tonight is that he understood Adam was alone and God said, I will make him a helpmate. I will give him somebody that he can share his life with, somebody that he can live with, somebody he can enjoy their company. He was, uh, in essence, he was just more aware of what he was missing. Adam thought, maybe, maybe I'm missing an animal. Maybe I'm, I missed a bush somewhere. God said, no, I know what you're missing. Well, how many are you glad tonight that God knows what we need long before we need it? And long before, and here's the thing, we, we know something's missing sometimes and we try to bury ourselves in work and we try to bury ourselves in activity. And here's the thing, sooner or later that work's gonna run out, that activity's gonna be done and we're gonna have to make the realization that, hey, something is missing. So you go down to verse number 21. God puts Adam to sleep. In verse number 21, and he took one of his ribs and closed it thereof. And notice this tonight, well, why? Why would God take a rib? Well, there's a few opinions, there's a few types and pictures and some great truth we can pull out of this. Well, your ribs guard your vital organs, right? It guards your lungs, guards your heart and your liver and all that is tangled up somehow in, 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 out, in, inside of your rib cage. I'm a preacher, I'm not a, uh, I don't know the word, something. I'm not a doctor, amen. <laughs> I just know my, my neck bone's connected to my shoulder bone and however the song goes. But notice here, the Lord takes a rib out of Adam and creates Eve. Well, why? Why the rib? Well, it guards the vital organs. Right, in essence, he's taking it from the innermost part of Adam, so to speak. He can't take his heart because he'll die without that. He can't take his other organs because he needs those. But rather, he takes something from the inside to say, Adam, this that, that I've, this woman that I've created for you, boy, she, you and, you and her are going to love each other more than you love those animals and more than you love your job and more than you love this creation. He said, you're going to love her more because she is part of you. You are one flesh. You are together in this. And then there's also a great illustration. Why the rib? Why didn't he take it out of Adam's head? Well, the woman was never meant to lord over the man. 
Well, then why did he take it out of his feet? Because the man was never meant to walk over the woman. He took it out of the rib. Why? So they could be side by side together on a journey. And in verse number 23, God forms Eve. And verse number 23, Adam wakes up and he says, whoa, man. You're the best thing I've ever seen. You're absolutely amazing. That's in the original text, amen. On the original manuscripts, you gotta go find them. But she wasn't like anything else. He said, I looked at all the animals, the fowl of the air, and every living creature. He said, but whoo, you are different. Adam, here's the interesting thing. They got married not even knowing what the marriage was. I'm gonna marry you. What is that? I don't know, but that's what we're gonna do. God put them together. But notice here, verse number 23, she was like anything else. In verse number 24, they were to be one flesh. I remember learning in Bible college, we had a man by the name of Vern Mast. He was one of our teachers. And he grew up, I think he grew up, not Mennonite, he grew up, uh, yeah, Mennonite. And uh, <laughs> he, taught, he, he taught us a, a family class. And, but he said growing up, you know, tying up animals and getting them in, into the, the, the plow and all that kind of stuff, he was telling us all about that. And he picked me and Miss Becky to be his, his illustrations one night. And he put us in the, the, the yoke together, right? And, and the funny thing, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit taller than Miss Becky. And so that thing like just hung down on me, but she was actually the one holding it up the entire time. And I didn't realize that. Her arms about fell off when she got done from holding up that board the entire time. I, I didn't even realize that. But there's this process given to us in verse number 24. One that a man shall leave his father and his mother. Right, you, you leave out of that home situation. Now, and here's the thing. You, you come to me and say, preacher, I'm going to get married, but we're going to move in with my mom and dad. I'm going to tell you no. I don't think that's right. Now, I'm not talking about in extenuating circumstances, but that, that goes back to the thing. You've you got to be ready for this and prepared for this. I believe it is the best for a man and a woman to get married to have their own place. They can start their own life. And not, not just forget mom and dad, I'm never talking to you again. But now his responsibility is to his bride and to his own family. So there's this leave process. Then there's this cleave process. They are to become one flesh and they are to be joined together. And then he added a weave process. You weave your lives together. And they shall be one flesh. Then verse number 25 tells us, because of how this took place and how they were able to stand before the Lord, there's absolutely nothing wrong with marriage. It's, a, it's God's institution. It's by God's design. And so tonight, as you have become married, as, as you are a married couple, become one flesh, realize tonight that it is God's design and God's plan for your life to be so. Right? Not that there's not problems in your marriage, but the institution of marriage tonight is absolutely perfect. It's by God's design. And so number one, we see this match made in paradise. Right? They, they literally being two perfect people with a free will. Understand the Bible says that you know, they were perfect in their, in their physicality, but yet God had given them a free will because God doesn't want us to be robots. And they were married in a perfect place. But point number two, we see there's a mess up in paradise. There's a mess up in paradise. Go down to Genesis chapter number three. Right, how many of you wish Genesis chapter number three wasn't in your Bible? Boy, I'm, I, I couldn't imagine what it would be like that, not have a sin nature. 
or, or not to have, have to deal with my flesh in that sense. Uh, it's, it's a better way to say that. Adam and Eve had a sin nature. Obviously, they had a sin nature. They sinned. But in essence, not have to deal with that. Still living in a perfect world. And here's the thing. You quickly learn in marriage that things don't always go smoothly or like you expected. Right? Even, even the simple things, right? You have been by yourself and you've got ready for church all by yourself. And then all of a sudden you throw another person into the mix and it's like, well, uh, what's going on here? And then you throw kids into the mix. Not only do I have to get ready, but now I've got to get y'all ready too. Right? It just adds on and adds on. But things quickly change in the marriage. And, and here's the thing. There, there's, there's one who's constantly coming against you. Right? It'd be one thing if we were just trying to learn more about each other. We're cleaving but at the same time we are cleaving, Satan himself is going to creep in and do his best to split you apart, to, to, to take you apart uh, as a couple, so to speak. Now, look at this. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now, the serpent was more subtle, or subtle, yeah, more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest he die, or lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. Now you gotta understand there's a slight misquotation here in Genesis chapter number three, verse number three. Now, God did say you shall not eat of it. But if you go back to the command that he gave to Adam in Genesis chapter number two, <clears throat> verse number 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest, thou shalt surely die. Eve said, oh, Adam said that not only can we not eat of it, we can't touch it either. Right now, God never said that. But obviously, here is Eve, she is quoting or misquoting what Adam has told her, and in doing so, she's lost her security of the authority of God's word. Because obviously, she touches it. Obviously, she eats it. But notice here that we see the command in chapter 2, Eve's reply in Genesis chapter number 3, and then Satan changes the focus. He takes his eye off the tree and he puts it on Eve specifically in verse number four. Ye shall not surely die. In essence, he's, he's telling Eve, listen, you won't really die. Do you really think God would make you and give you to Adam and let y'all marry one another and then just let you die? You shall not surely die. That's nonsense, Eve. God is love, and he is, but he's also righteous. He's just and he's holy. And so we see Satan change the focus. All that they did have, or, and not, not just on the tree, but he said, well, God won't kill you. And he'd be awfully mean if he did. Right? I, actually, it's pretty mean that he won't let you eat of that tree. Now, Eve told her that, Eve already told him that we could eat of every tree in the garden except for that one. And Satan says, well, if God really loved you, he'd let you eat of that. He'd give it to you. He wouldn't hurt you like that, take that away from you. Right? And so that's one of the things you have to realize, that if you're going to debate Scripture, you better know what the Word of God says. You're going to try to live a life, you've got to know what the Word of God says. 
But here's the interesting thing tonight. Look at verse number six. As Satan's been talking. The Bible said in verse number six, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, not for the knowledge of good and evil, it's just food. It's nothing special about it. Nothing great about it. It's just food. And that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. And gave also with her husband, unto her husband with her. And he did eat. Now, here's how I've always thought this takes place. And it might have. I always thought Eve's over here by herself. And here comes Satan subtly sneaking into the, the, the garden. He beguiles her and she takes a bite of it and she runs back to Adam and says, Adam, you got to try a bite of this. But verse number six, notice what it says. And he gave also her husband with her. Very well meaning that Adam was sitting right there the whole time. Not fulfilling his obligation as the leader of his home. To say, Eve, you don't need to listen to that no more. Eve, he's wrong. Eve, please don't do that. God said we are not to eat of that tree. But his silence says a lot. And his action speaks even louder. The silence of Adam, what was the, the Bible says her husband was with her. Well, preacher, how long did it take for sin to take his, its effect? The next verse. In the eyes of them were both opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. It's amazing how all of a sudden sin comes in. And the very thing that they have already stood and done before God, they say it's wrong. We need to cover up. We need to hide. We need to get away from here. And so we see there's a great mess in paradise. They knew and realized what they had done. They attempted to cover it up in verses uh, verse number seven, they sewed fig leaves together. Now you that are in Miss Caitlin's class, you can draw verse number seven. You cannot draw verse number 25, Genesis chapter number two. <laughs> and then also later on, they attempted to blame each other. God says, well, Lord, you gave me a woman. And, say, and Eve says, well, it was Satan's fault. And God holds them both accountable. Oh, here's the thing, right? We, we like to say things like this. Well, preacher, if I was in the Garden of Eden, I tell you, I would not have done that. Mm -mm, not me, preacher. I'd beg to differ on the fact that you have a sin nature. You probably would have. But we'd say things like this, right? No, preacher, here's what I would have done, right? We were, we were talking about this uh, as we were getting ready to head to church this, this afternoon. That if that was me, right, I would think in my mind, well, that's the tree that God said we're not supposed to eat of. Y'all get me some wood together. We're going to build a fence around it. We're going to build guardrails around it. Right? We're going to put a sign 10 feet from it. Do not go any further. Do not enter in. Don't go near it. God said not to eat it. Well, that's wonderful. That sounds great. But how come you don't do that in your life now? Well, your sin. Those things that we know are wrong. How come we don't put up the fences now and say, I ain't going nowhere near that? How do we put a sign? I ain't going to touch that. I ain't going to listen to that. I ain't going to watch that. I ain't going to let that come across my screen. I ain't going to let that come into my ears. 
So before we get so, so super spiritual, we might want to check ourselves out before we get in a mess in our marriage. See, we like to think it's going to be some big thing that comes into our marriage. Uh, it'll be something subtle. Satan will sneak in there. And because you weren't doing what God had called you and told you to do, there will be a mess in your paradise. But we see there was a match made in paradise, a wonderful wedding in chapter number two. Chapter number three, there's a big mess. Sin has come into the world. Then notice number three tonight, there's mercy in paradise. There's mercy in paradise. You keep going down. <laughs> how, how long did it take them to understand they had sinned? It was in the next verse. How long did it take God to act in mercy? The next verse. Look at verse number eight. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. A preacher, that ain't merciful. Well, if you think about it, it is. Because God in his righteousness, the moment they ate it, the moment they partook of it, they should have been struck dead. They should have died. And here comes God walking in the cool of the day in the midst of the garden. In verse number nine, he deals with them. He confronts them. Right? How does he do it? Well, he does it with questions. Look at verse number nine. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? Adam, where you at? Not because God didn't know where he was. He just needed to make sure Adam knew where he was. That he had strayed away from God. He got out of sorts with God in verse number nine. He asked Adam where he was. And Adam res responds, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid. Right now, this, I don't think this is the first time this had happened. But now all of a sudden they're scared of God. They had just stood before him. Right in verse number 25, they were naked before him and God was pleased with them. And now they're covered up and they're hiding from God. Verse number 11 and he said, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not? Why you got to ask that question, Lord? Don't you, he already knows, right? That's how, I don't know how the Lord deals with it. Sometimes that's how he deals with me. Didn't I tell you you weren't supposed to do that? Didn't I already tell you in my word that that's not how this works? That's what he does with Adam. Didn't I tell you you weren't supposed to eat of that tree? And so Adam realizes, one, he's away from God. He has the wrong attitude towards God. He has done the wrong acts, and he's ate of the tree. Then verse number 12, and the man said, the woman thou gavest to me with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, what hast thou done? What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, well, it's a serpent's fault. Now, God did deal with the serpent. Right, he confronted them. But in verse number 15 and 19, he comforts them, right? Because in their mind, thou shalt surely die. Now, we understand in that moment, the spirit died, right? And that's what Christ, when he saves us, is resurrected in our life. The spirit in us is resurrected. It's a new creature. It's a new man. We still have our own flesh. But now we operate and live in the new man that Christ has, has created us. We're a new creature. And so we understand that truth tonight. But in essence, there's a, there's a direct comfort here in verse number 15, right? He, this is the amazing thing about God is that God already knew. 
right? God knew this would take place. His foreknowledge, his understanding, his omniscience. He knows this is going to happen. And God doesn't hold out on them. God doesn't say, you know what? I'm going to let y'all linger in this for a while. I'm going to let y'all sit down somewhere and figure this out for a while. Figure out what you're going to do about it. God said, I already have a plan. Verse number 15, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. So he confronts them, but then he comforts them. Hey, I've got a promise. One day I will send the Messiah. One day I'll send my son to die for you. He will conquer Satan, death, hell, and the grave, and he will redeem you. He'll pay your price. He will make up for what has happened here today. He'll fix the problem that you started. But in verses 16 through 19, he gives them a prescription. Right? He, he, he gives them some consequences for what has taken place here. Verse number 16, look what it says under the woman. He said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow in thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Because what's taking place here, there's some consequences here. And some of you ladies can testify that children are a heritage from the Lord. They are short. Jordan looked around to make sure it was him. <laughs> Mama, am I a blessing? <laughs> right? They are a blessing from the Lord, no doubt. But the process of getting them from the womb to here is sure enough work. Sure enough pain and sorrow. I can't speak from experience. I have no idea. Right? <laughs> When Miss Becky gave birth to Miss Shiloh, the daughter asked me, how did I feel about everything? Good, I, I guess. <laughs> I, I just stood here. <laughs> I just encouraged her, you're doing great. You're doing wonderful. But right, there's that great sorrow that comes in delivering a child, the great pain that comes from it. And then to go down to verse, and he's unto Adam, he said, because thou hast hearkened to the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, and cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall bring it forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust that thou art, and to dust thou shalt return. Well, that's why me and you as men, when we go to work, that's why we get aggravated so much. Well, you ever done the same thing Day after day, then all of a sudden the same thing don't work no more. Get aggravated, get mad. Why is this working? Well, it goes back to here, right? It goes back to the fact that you and I, as men, as we go out to work and we've put that, fulfill that role that God has put us into and God has placed us into, we understand it's, it's effect of the curse, right? In essence, it's aggravating, no doubt, but at the same time, I want to rejoice because God in his righteousness could have kept all this from happening. Didn't have to offer this to us. And so he, he comforts them. He, he confronted them. In verse number 21, he clothed them. He clothed them. Look at verse number 21. Unto Adam and also unto his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. That's a wonderful picture of salvation. Why? Adam and Eve didn't do nothing. They just got honest about their sin. They got honest about what, God, what had happened and what they did. And God comforted them. And he clothed them. He, he sacrificed an animal. I firmly believe it was a lamb. Why? I think if you go through the context of scripture through its entirety, it's always been a lamb. Well, here's the thing. Now, Adam, what was Adam's job? Yes, he named the animals, but he was a keeper of the ground. 
a tiller of the ground. He was to work and to dress the garden. And God said, that your works ain't going to do it. Them little fig leaves you got, Adam, ain't going to work. God said, you have to trust me. I've got something greater that'll cover your sin. Atone for it, forgive it, and deal with it. And there in the Garden of Eden, it was clothes of an animal, but on Calvary, it was his son, Jesus Christ. And so we see the Lord clothed them. Here's the interesting thing. Go all the way down to verse number 20. <laughs> all this has taken place, and Adam hasn't given Eve a name yet. He's just been calling her woman. <laughs> she probably got tired of that. Quit calling me woman. No, look at verse number 20. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Well, preacher, what's significant about that? Well, they were supposed to die. Thou shalt surely die. They probably thought it was physical death. God would wipe them out. But in verse number 15, he made a promise. Between thy seed and, 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 and her seed, it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Promise of Redeemer. Adam said, listen, woman, we've messed up. We've done wrong. But God has been gracious to us. And he's given us a promise that one day he'll send his son. And one day he'll send a, a redeemer for us. He said, I'm going to believe God's promise. Therefore, your name's going to be Eve because you're going to be the mother of all living. And one of those lives that comes down that line will be God's promise, will be the Messiah, will be the one that God sends to pay for our sin debt. Preacher, what's the secret? Preacher, if there isn't a perfect marriage, what's the secret to a good one? What's the secret to one that glorifies God and brings honor to his name? We find it in the naming of Eve. Listen, we can go into marriage or we can live our marriages and we can always bring up what the other person's done. We can live in the, the past of our mistakes and our failures and all the things we didn't know before we got married and all the things we're still learning, all that. We can live there and not like a single second of it. Or you can say, you know what, I'm not going to live there. That's not what's going to guide and direct our marriage. Rather, we're going to go to God's word and we're going to find us some promises that are going to guide and govern our marriage. Preacher, what's the secret to a good marriage? You're going to have to get in there and find the promises and then apply those to your marriage. We're going to look in the next few weeks and we're going to look at some of those promises that God has for us. Adam said, Eve, you're the mother of all living. Through you and by you, God's going to send a redeemer. He said, and that's what I want to build our marriage on. Not our, our great mistake that we just committed, our great sin that we just did. And there was consequences. They got kicked out of the garden. We know that tonight. And we understand that sin reared its ugly head in the life of their children, Cain and Abel. But can I say it was through that line. And it was through the promise that God gave to Adam and Eve in the garden after they'd sinned that he fulfilled and kept. Eve truly is the mother of all living. And they chose that, like, that promise be the foundation of their marriage. And I encourage you to get in God's word and let it be a foundation for your marriage as well. Let's pray tonight.